What a wonderful statement of truth, God, that we can stand firm and we can stand secure today. We can stand with pride that you call us your children. We're not proud of what we've done, as we're going to look at today. We're proud of what Jesus has done for us. We just thank you so much for the wonder of your word and the truth that you want to share to us today. And I pray for every one of us that we would uh, be able to wrestle and grasp and to be able to get to this place where we understand grace maybe just a little bit better today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for singing and enjoying and coming in there. As you're being seated, I'd appreciate it if you would do two things for me. If you, one, you'd grab your connection card because you're going to need this at the end of my time. And two, your message notes so that you can follow along uh, in our time together today. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can open it to Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. That's where I'll be. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We have Acts. We have Romans. We have First and Second Corinthians. And then Galatians. And so there's where we'll be. And so you can look there at Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 today. And love it if you would do that. If you happen to be watching online, if you would just look to, on your screen, you'll see a, a spot you can check, which would allow you to be able to uh, follow along, to take notes, and to respond at the end of the service today. I'd appreciate it if you would do that as well. So you look at the top of the notes there. It's our theme verse that we've been uh, using in this series. I read it at the start of the service, and I want to begin today by having you help me read it out loud. So let's do it together. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And we've been looking at this series and talking about the fact that through God's grace, when we say yes to him, that he sets us free. But there's a tendency, and we're talking about that a lot in this series, that we would want to feel that somehow that we have to do our part now that we're in his family to stay in his family. And so we're talking about this whole idea of a true gospel and a false gospel in this series. We're going to give even more clarity about that as we go through the section of verses today. But I'm going to begin with a little story. Uh, in July 2011, uh, there was a man named Leland Hansen who lived in Portland, Oregon. And he went down to his neighborhood 7-Eleven, and he bought a lottery ticket. And he took his lottery ticket home, and he put it on his refrigerator door along with some other tickets that he had purchased that he had never looked at either. And so he left it there for about three months. So about three months later, he's paying his bills. He's just thinking, you know, I don't have enough money to pay all the bills right now. So I wonder, he looked over at the refrigerator door, and there's these lottery tickets. And he thought, I wonder if one of those might have a couple of bucks that would help me get by. So he goes over to the refrigerator door, pulls the lottery tickets off. And as he's processing them, he discovers that one of them was a winner. One of them was a jackpot winner. One of them was a mega jackpot winner, and it was worth $22 million. Oh my, $22 million. And he had been opening the refrigerator door for three months, because it's just <laughs> fluttering in the breeze right there. You know, he didn't know the value of what he had. He took it for granted, just a lottery ticket. Well, let's see, I th tell that story because I think that's one of the ways that some of us come to grace. We come to the gospel. We see it, we hear it, especially those of you who have been to church, a lot. And we lose the, the idea, the perspective that the gospel is a treasure. It's a treasure. 
And so in this series, what I've been trying to do all the way since Easter is just awaken us again to this concept of the treasure we have in the gospel, of what Jesus has done for us, as God provided a way for us to be, as we're going to look at today, right with him. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at these verses uh, that begin in verse 11, and we're going to remind ourselves of the priceless treasure that we have. And it's my belief, and it's the premise that I'm working from as I prepare every message and as I pray for our services, that when we can understand the grace life, and then we can pursue it with some energy and some vigor, that that will lead us to a place of greater joy and freedom, the joy and freedom that Jesus came to bring. It's my prayer that this series just isn't and doesn't become some kind of academic, theological, informational journey through Galatians that doesn't really impact us or doesn't really change us, but that we end up learning more about grace and processing it so that we can truly live as the free men and women and children of Christ because of Jesus. So just to let you know what's going on, let's kind of set up a little bit of, the, of what's happening in the series, in the book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul, he started a group of churches uh, in what we would call modern-day Turkey today. Um, it was the non-Jewish world uh, that would be called the Gentile world, as we read in the Bible. And so the central point of the message that he would use when he would go to start churches, as he would share with the folks that he was teaching, he would share with them the gospel message. That was the, clearly the thing he taught everywhere he went as he started his churches. And the gospel message says this. Here's what God did for you that you couldn't do for yourself. Here's what he did for you that you couldn't do for yourself. He came to save you. He came to set you free. He came to rescue you. And the second part of that, is that you cannot maintain this freedom. You cannot stay free by yourself. So God initiates in the beginning, and then God initiates all throughout the life that we have, the grace life that we come to know, and the grace life that we live. It's God's initiative, and that's called grace. Uh, God's unmerited favor, his forgiveness toward those who could just never earn it. So now we've talked about this. He's writing this letter primarily to correct the teaching that's threatening this early church in this region of Galatia. So he started the church, and then he had gone on to do other work, and, uh, and more than likely he's in the Antioch region, uh, and he's doing other work, and he's hearing rumors about a false gospel that's being taught to these new followers of Jesus in Galatia, the region, and so he writes to them to correct them. Now, as we've talked about in this series, is that it's not a pleasant letter. If you read most of Paul's letters to the churches, he says something about, uh, here's what I want to say to you because I love you. You're so awesome. You're doing these things. You helped me. Thank the Lord. I pray for you. But he began this letter with, you, we're going to look at next week, you foolish Galatians. So he begins with anger in his heart as he's talking about here. And so what he's realizing is that, you know, and I believe that this is Holy Spirit inspired, is that he's realizing that Christianity was at a crossroads, at a crossroads. Because here's the deal. Christianity started out of the Jewish faith, out of Judaism. 
And some of the earliest Christians then, they were, would have been Jews before they said yes to Jesus. So they had already grown up with a Jewish faith system that they held dear to and that they uh, was really the center of their world and the center of their lives. And there were this group of them who, because it was so dear to them, that they were really struggling with, do I have to give up this Jewish faith in order to embrace this Christian faith? Why can't I have both? And so they looked at it, and they actually did this a lot out of fear, I believe, because a lot of religion is based in fear, and so they were afraid if they didn't keep the religious rules that somehow they wouldn't appease God. And so as they were looking at this, they they were looking at the rules and regulations, they were looking at the ceremonial rules of cleanliness, um, and they were trying to say, and they were saying that you, we also need to keep these. These were what got us to God. This is what got us to the place where we could experience grace. And now this is what's going to keep us in God. This is what will keep us experiencing his grace as they tried to walk with Jesus. So as we talked about, I think, two weeks ago, and I'll just say it again today, is that Paul was saying, here's what you need to know. The true gospel is this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I cannot add anything to what Jesus has done and is doing for me. And the false gospel, the one that the Judaizers were teaching, if you really boiled it down to its essence, it's this, Jesus plus something, and Paul is saying, equals nothing. You cannot even combine them. You cannot even attempt to do that. Once you add anything to the gospel, add anything to grace, then you end up with nothing. You end up with nothing. Now, last week, Mark did a great job of helping us walk through this huge moment in the life of the early church where they had ended up with the Jerusalem Council. And at the Jerusalem Council, uh, they brought all the uh, uh, church leaders together, all the disciples, the apostles. Paul was there. He brought Titus along. Peter was there. Uh, they were all there. And they said, now, we must decide now. And they were listening to the Holy Spirit. What is God saying to us? Does someone have to become a Jew in order to be a Christian? And it was decided at the Jerusalem Council, no, no. And we joked a lot about this, as that one of the things about, you know, if you're a Gentile male becoming a you know, follower of Jesus, if you had to become a Jew too, it meant circumcision. And so there were a lot of males who went, whew, <laughs> adult males at that point. And so you're not required to adhere to the Jewish laws. You're not required to adhere to the laws concerning cleanliness and ceremonies but especially circumcision. Now, just because they said this was the way it would be, what you need to know is not everyone got on board. And this is the way it's going to be. All that There will always be people that truly try to bring something else in, that they have a belief, they have a, a kind of something that's tickled their fancy, a truth that's is kind of come into them, and they're like, oh, everybody needs to know this truth. There's always going to be people trying to add to. Well, just in this day, there were people that refused to take off this view that you had to have ceremony rules in order to be accepted by God. So there's this group of people. And they, they just kept saying that, no, you must keep the Jewish rules. And so what they were saying is, is this, it's, you know, just simply they were saying, you can be set free by grace, but you can't keep yourself free by grace. They were saying, the only way to keep yourself free is to keep the rules and regulations of Judaism. And it's the only way that you can control 
the only way that you can measure whether you're truly free by grace. And so this goes against all of Christianity. It goes against that. And so Paul is writing, and he's saying, no, it really you know, boils down to this, folks. It's Jesus plus nothing, or it's Jesus plus something. You can't have both. You cannot have both. Now, the reason this is so important to us is uh, there are basically two brands of Christianity that we can adopt or we can adhere to. One is life-giving, and the other is life-sucking. One brings freedom, and the other one brings slavery. And the reason this is so critical for us to get right is that slavery to rules strangles the life out of followers of Jesus Christ and is a huge roadblock to those who haven't yet said yes to Jesus because they look at all the rules that someone said that you have to keep. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about how do we uphold grace? How do we hold it up? How do we hold it as the highest value? And so we're going to look at three concepts as we go through these verses today. And as I shared with the team before service today, uh, we're going into the deep end today. And uh, what I hope is, it's not just you know, confusing deep, but I hope that it's actually deep in a way that will draw us closer and affect us, not just intellectually, but emotionally and spiritually in our walk with Jesus and walk with Christ. So that's what I'm hoping, that's what I'm praying for today. So, okay, three ideas. And the first is this, and then we'll read the verses. Pursuing the grace life involves upholding the truth of the gospel. Upholding the truth of the gospel. So it's been about 14 years since Paul's conversion and his, you know, and beginning to start churches and to uh, be involved in planting churches in the Gentile world. And he had a missionary home for much of the things that he did. And the missionary home was in Antioch. And so what we have here is we're reading an account that Paul's talking about. Okay, so this is he's reflecting back on because they've already been to Antioch. Now they've already been to Jerusalem and they've already had the Jerusalem council. But Paul's reflecting back on this time when Peter came to visit him in Antioch. And something happened while Peter was there that caused Paul's blood to boil, caused his blood to boil. And in these verses we're looking at, Paul's referring to this encounter, and he actually calls out Peter. Now, Peter is just the guy that we read about in the Bible, and a lot of us laugh and joke about this because much of the things we know about Peter is that he blew it, right? He failed in some way. Uh, that he stepped off into the water and he was walking and then he went under, that he was, you know, b- before a young girl at Jesus when Jesus was being tortured and she challenged him and he caved. Uh, and we just look at, oh, another time when, you know, Jesus actually looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. So, you know, that's the Peter that most of us know about, uh, but that he was a great planter of churches and highly impactful in the kingdom. And here's just another example where Peter gets called out. And it's just down for everybody to read for all generations. Okay, so here's how it goes. Verse 11. But when Cephas came, that's Peter, came to Antioch, 
Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For certain men came from James. Now, we're, you know, just, you know, just look at this. They weren't sent from James because James was part of the group that said that it's Jesus plus nothing. And so we know that they weren't coming from James uh, for the reason of saying that it, it must be Jesus plus something. But these were people who were using James as their uh, entree. Uh, as their business card into being able to talk uh, with authority. And so he, they came. Peter was eating with the Gentiles. So when they get there, uh, Peter has embraced the Gentiles. And if you want to read all about this, you can go to the book of Acts and you can read about Cornelius and the vision that Peter had. And then yeah, as God showed him that the gospel was for all people and that Peter you know, was... Uh, brought Gentiles into the kingdom, into the family, and then he began hanging around them and being with them. So he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he's got a piece of bacon in his mouth, okay? <laughs> Just think about that. He came. All of a sudden, he looks and sees the Judaizers come. He's got a piece of bacon in his mouth. He takes the bacon out and hides it behind his back. Doesn't want anyone to see this. He drew back and separated himself, fearing. Why don't you circle the word fearing? Here's the, here's the reason that we'll compromise. It's fear. Fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So when one person is afraid, many people will follow. That's what you see here. When one person lives in fear, many people will follow. And so we have other people being just as hypocritical and moving away from the Gentiles because they're living in fear. So that even who? Barnabas. We looked at him last week, and he's a bastion of the church and looked at him. And even Barnabas caved, was led astray by their hypocrisy. Then Paul says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, underline that, circle it, the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he's nabbed, he's nailed, he's caught. And Peter, Paul accused Peter, excuse me, of being a hypocrite. So, you know, got the idea that Peter's acting one way, and then people of influence come around, and Peter acts another way. He had been hanging with the Gentiles, accepting them, and you know, being with them in, quote-unquote, fellowship. And then when these other folks come to town, he rejects them and moves away. And what he was doing was he was creating a barrier in the church, a barrier in the church between Judaizers and Gentiles. And we all know that anytime there's a barrier that's created in the church... That it, that's not God's ideal. That's not God's way. That he wants unity. And he did it out of fear. Out of fear. Fear of what they were going to do. Fear of what they were going to say. I love that we just saying no longer slaves to fear, for I am a child of God. I can stand before him. So I just I was reflecting on this, and there's just, some things just popped out to me as I was looking at this. First, God does not want his people to say one thing when they're with one crowd, and then when we're another crowd to say something else so they can be accepted. So in other words, it's all about acceptance. And remember we said in the series, the only way we're accepted is through grace. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to manipulate. And the word hypocrisy means to wear a mask. 
or to be under, so I'm under a mask. And so what I do is I try to be one thing with one group and fit in, and I try to be another thing with another group and fit in. And what happens is, is that he was creating disunity in the church. Secondly, the pull, the pull that is so real. And I don't know if it's just because of the way I'm wired. You may be different than me. I told you that you know many times I'll wake up in the morning and uh, the first thing, the first thought until I work this out, the first thought I'll have in the morning many times is, what do I have to do today? You know, just what do I have to do? Do, do, do. What do I have to do? And I'm just thinking about basically what I'm, I'm really trying to figure out at that moment is, how do I, what do I need to do in order to measure up? And then I go to God and we work this out. Sometimes it's slower than sooner. And we work it out. But the pull, here's the deal. The pull to substitute legalism and rules and regulations, it is a strong force. Strong force. And we have to work to continually uphold the truth of the gospel against the pull of the messages that are coming at us all the time in order to fit in, to be true to the gospel. Third thing I notice is this, is that we just need to be aware. Each one of us need to be aware of our tendency to be hypocrites, to be hypocritical, and the damage that does to the cause of Christ in our world. See, if you ask people, I was able to read quite a long uh, Facebook post by a really good friend who was writing about hypocrisy recently. And so as she was writing, she talked about all the ways that uh, people choose or reasons people don't go to church today and the number one reason that people give many times for not going to church is that they say at the church they're all hypocrites hypocrites right in fact you hear my faith story my faith story when i went through the the season when i went outside the guardrails and was just free falling down the hill that that season began because i looked at church people And I saw a difference between what they said and what they did. And I called them hypocrites. And I said, I don't want anything to do with that. And that led me to this place of almost destruction. Oh, here's what I didn't realize at that point. What I didn't realize at that point that I do today, and uh, I'll just say this, many people outside the church don't realize this either. Many people in the church don't realize this either because they get so caught off guard when they come to church and they find out it's still full of broken people. Oh, I thought when we're Christians, everybody's perfect, right? And then the next thing you know, they get pinched and they're like, hypocrite, you pinched me. Hypocrite, you hurt me. And uh, Hypocrite, you did this. And so we start judging people. But there's a huge difference between following Jesus and being perfected by Jesus. A huge difference. See, keeping in step with the truth of the gospel means never forgetting that we are all sinners saved by grace and that God accepts people based on the fact that Jesus died on the cross. Our acceptance isn't based on our behavior either before or after we received Jesus. It's based on what Jesus did. Now, I've been reading quite a bit of Martin Luther in this series. Now, you know, we're going back quite a ways. And so some of his writing's difficult, some of it's not quite as hard, 
but in reading a lot. In fact, I want to recommend a movie to you. Uh, I don't usually you know, do this about these kinds of movies, but uh, there's a movie out there called Luther, and I, I think there's several made on Martin Luther's life, but what's the most recent one? Now, um, it's a Jesus movie, just so you know. It's awesome <laughs> in many ways, uh, but I believe the budget was probably somewhere pretty low, okay? Uh, but I want to encourage you to watch it. Uh, I was so moved by this movie uh, about Martin Luther when he first came to understand salvation as he was working through a lesson he was doing in Romans chapter 1. But Martin Luther said this about staying in truth of the gospel. He says this, that the truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine wherein the knowledge of all goodness exists. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. <laughs> well, that's what we're doing today, is we're beating it into our heads, okay, as we go through this. My head, your head, need to beat it into our head continually, because you will not change your life through moral reformation. It won't happen. You will not change your heart by observing biblical principles alone. Our faith is not based on what we do, but our faith is based on what God has done for us. Okay? So the first idea is I need to uphold the truth. Now, the second one is going to go even deeper as we think about the key, one of the key words of New Testament doctrine. And so the next one would be, I need to uphold the heart of the gospel. Uphold the heart of the gospel. So Paul goes on. And remember, all the way through here, he's probably talking to Peter. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. So he's saying, hey, we're not made right by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. You might just underline that, justified by faith in Christ. And notice that it's not by the works of the law. So he's drawing a clear line here. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Remember last week, uh, Mark talked about the fact that the law's purpose was to it was a diagnostic tool. So the law's purpose was to show us our need for God. The law was never meant to cure us. It was meant to diagnose the problem and show us our need for God. But what had happened is, is that over time, the law had become the means of justification as the way to make the cure. And he's saying, no way. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners... Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So the key to understanding the gospel message of grace is in that phrase, justified by faith in Christ. Justified by faith in Christ. Now, I'm going to define those words, okay? So just work with me here as we walk through and do a definition of those two words, justification and faith, or justi justified, and faith. So first, justification. It's a legal term that means being made right with God. It means being made right with God. I hear you turning your notes over on the backside. You'll find this. You can fill that blank in. 
a legal term that means being made right with God. And you're made right with God, I'm adding this, you're made right with God through belief in what Jesus did for us on the cross. What Jesus did for us on the cross. So in order to understand justification or justified, it's the opposite of condemned or condemnation. It's the opposite of condemned or condemnation. So God takes every person who is condemned because of sin and because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, when that person by faith comes to him in belief, he makes that person right, justified. Now, he doesn't make us righteous. He declares us righteous through Christ. So here's, this is where it gets really complicated. He doesn't make us righteous, but he declares us righteous. So what he does is when he looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees who? Christ. And when he looks at me, he sees Jesus. So every time he looks at me, no matter where I am, no matter what I've done, he sees Jesus. Because he's made me right by my belief and my faith in him. Justification is when the righteousness of Jesus is counted or reckoned to us so that our standing before God is as we possess the same standing as Jesus, which allows the Father, when I say yes to Jesus, which allows the Father to look at me and say, this is my beloved. I'm a child of God. This is my beloved son or daughter. I'm a child of God. Now, you may have heard this before. You might fill in these blanks, but just another way to understand justification is this. One way is just as if I've never sinned, and the other way is, is just as if I've always obeyed. Justified. Just as if I've never sinned, just as if I've always obeyed. It's not about forgiveness here. Forgiveness of our sins makes us neutral in God's eyes. We no longer have a debt. Justification makes us righteous in God's eyes. He sees us as right. It's about being made right in his sight, meaning without flaw, without blemish, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. So on the cross, when Jesus went to the cross, he received what I deserved because of the life I've lived, because of the fact that I have sinned and there's punishment due to that sin. Jesus received that for me on the cross. He was treated on the cross as if he were me, as if he were me. Now, at the same time on the cross, Jesus made it possible, I just want to warp your brains even more, he made it possible for me to receive what he should have received because of the life he lived. So when he went to the cross, he received, <clears throat> he received what I should have received because of the life I lived. And when he went to the cross, he made it possible for me to receive what he should have received because he lived a perfect life. That's justification. And that leads us into being right with him. I did nothing to earn it. It's all because of grace. It's all made possible. So now, what's faith? Okay, if it requires faith in order to appropriate this, what is faith? Faith means to believe in and place my trust or confidence in what God says and does. 
So faith means to believe in. So I, I believe this, but it's more than just believing something. It's when I place my confidence in it. And especially in this issue right here, if I place my confidence in what Jesus did on the cross, then I am no longer going to slip into needing law or feeling that law is going to justify me. I'm no longer going to move that direction and do those things. I believe it to be true. Okay, one more idea. One more idea that Paul's going to give us. Pursuing the grace life <clears throat> involves upholding the impact of the gospel. The impact of the gospel. Then he goes on. And in these verses uh, that we're going to look at, verse 20 specifically, uh, it's one of those you know, coffee cup verses that you've heard probably a lot uh, if you've been in church at all. <clears throat> but this is what Paul says. For through the law, I died to the law. What? Through the law, I died to the law. What does he mean? I, you know, I'm just telling you, I'm giving you my thoughts today, heads up. You can go out, and you're probably going to read a lot, and you're going to find people that say something different than I said, and they're probably going to say even what I said is wrong. But I'm just telling you, this is how I've just been able to look at it and read it and come up with, you know, based on the, the people I look to for my guidance to come up with what this means. So here's what this probably means. For through the law, the law of Christ, the law of Christ, the law of the gospel, I died to the law of Judaism. That's probably what that means. You just have to look at it. Through the law of Christ, what Jesus did, I died to now, I'm no longer living to please God so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. Once again, there's lots of people that write about this phrase and what does it mean? I'll tell you in a minute what I think. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Here's that word, faith, the key, belief and confidence in, belief and trust that I'm going to walk in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If righteousness were for, through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So basically saying, if the law and keeping the commandments, the ceremony rules and regulations, if that could save me, if that could make me right with God, then there was no reason for Jesus to die. Because Jesus died to do what I could not do. I could not do. That's why he died. So just thinking about this, as we're looking at this, Jesus either died for you completely or he died for nothing. He died for you completely or he died for nothing. He either does everything for you or he does nothing. And aren't you glad he died for nothing? Yeah. And he didn't die for nothing. He died for you. He died for us. He died for me. Because after all, he's for us. And this is what we call grace. He's for us. See, the truth of the gospel is that everything that is true of Jesus becomes true of you in him. Everything that's true of Jesus becomes true of you when you are in him. It says that you are crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means that as I've already said just a moment ago, just clarifying, it means that when you become a follower of Jesus, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that God sees you first as, first as, for the first time ever as free from condemnation, 
And the reason he can see you that way, it's as if you have already paid the penalty for your sin. But since you couldn't pay the penalty for your sin, Jesus has done that. And now you place your faith in him. He sees you as clean. He sees you as right. He's paid the penalty. But not only that, he sees you as righteous. He sees you as Jesus. And then you're in him. And he's in you. And so that means that on the cross, on one hand, God treats Jesus, and this is why when we get to times of communion, that it's so important that we be here to be reminded, is that on one hand, God treats Jesus on the cross as if he has done everything I have done. Now, sobering. At the same time, when you believe in him, he now treats you as if you had done everything he did. So you're in Christ. Christ is in you. And now Paul's saying, because of all this, I no longer live for myself or for my own work. See, the greatest and most difficult follower, I mean, decision that every follower of Jesus Christ has to wrestle with at some point is whether or not he or she is going to fully surrender to the gospel of Jesus. Fully surrender to the will of Jesus. So Paul says three things here. Three things, and we'll wrap up. First, live like I'm dead to the law. So that's what he's saying. He's saying about himself, but this is what he would say to us. Live like you're dead to the law. When you are justified, when you're in Jesus, God never sees you from the perspective of the law again. You are dead to pursuing the law. As your way to acceptance and approval. So, you know, for those of us who never feel we measure up, God says, Jesus, you always measure up. That's grace. So what we can do is we can just let go of the frustration that we live with of feeling that we have to be perfect and we have to earn our approval by what we do. I get my standing, my value, my justification, my righteousness from Jesus. Second, Live like I'm alive through Jesus. So I'm dead to the law, but I'm alive when I come to Jesus. I'm alive for the first time ever to him. Alive. So there's a sense that whenever you look out, you no longer think, oh, if I, have, you know, I, I need this, I need this, I have to do this, I have to do this. If I, then I'm going to be accepted. So what we get to this place is we realize that we have to live like we're alive through what Jesus has done for us not beating ourselves up. Third, live like I'm dependent on Jesus. Live like I'm dependent on Jesus. So I look to Jesus for all I need for both life and death, and the gospel changes us in every way. See, folks, the bottom line is this. If you live your life according to rules and regulations and ceremonies and you know kind of a behavior modification approach to Christianity if you try to do that you will not get character transformation you might behave you might get behavior modification but you're not going to get character transformation and this is why we need the empowerment that he offers us and this is why as we're going to look at next week we can rest, rest in grace. I've got another quote for you this week from Tim Keller. By the way, we've got several copies of the book out there if you want to try to read one of these uh, on Galatians for you. But this is what he says. 
If we could save ourselves, Christ's death is pointless and means nothing. If we realize we cannot save ourselves, Christ's death will mean everything to us. And we will spend the life that he's given us in what? Joyful service of him, bringing our whole lives in line with the gospel. Our whole lives in joyful service of him. Our whole lives in line with the gospel. So I want you to fill this in. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can live in the power of what Jesus is doing in us. We are set free by the gospel. We live by the gospel. And that's what Jesus wants for every one of us. To know his acceptance so that we can rest in the approval that we have through God and that we can live with his power. Folks, we must live in grace the same way we receive grace. It's by faith. We must place our trust and our confidence in the fact that God sees us as righteous or right because of what Jesus has done, because of our faith statement, our decision, and that Jesus is filling us now with his Holy Spirit. We're going to get to this in the next uh, couple chapters we're going to get to. Filling us with his Holy Spirit so that we're empowered to live the grace life that's made possible through his death on the cross. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you've spoken today. And God, I thank you that you are here. Jesus, I thank you that you're in us. And it's my prayer now that each of us would listen. Those of us who are struggling with living one way with one group and one way with another. Uh, that what are we doing? Why are we doing that? What, what fear is causing us to surrender fully to the gospel, the truth of the gospel? And I pray, God, for those of us that just haven't understood the fact that we are right. We've been made right because of what Jesus did and because of our faith. That just makes me think that if there's someone in the room that's never said yes to Jesus, it's that faith part never said yes yet, that right now you would do that. You would just say yes. It's an act of trust as you're placing your confidence in what you've heard to be true about the gospel of Jesus today. That he died for you, a death to pay a sin, a price you couldn't pay. And when he died on the cross, he died and paid your penalty. And when he died there, he made it possible for God to see you as right and as righteous. And now what he wants to do through the power of his spirit in you is that he wants to flow into you and he wants to transform you into the image of his son. So that what he sees on the outside is who you are complete through and through. And God, I pray now that we would live in your power. 
and that we would live with the impact that grace has on us, that we would know joy today. We would know your peace. That we would be free from condemnation. To walk in wholeness with you. I am a child of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.